The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Benson off to the left of Travis in the gun. Pippen in motion left to right. Fake the jet sweep. Going to throw. Travis home run ball. Looking for Pokey down the field. Caught. 10-5. Trot in there, baby. Touchdown, Florida State. Touchdown, FSU. Get some. Get some. Get some. Same for me. Knowles are going bowling after a beatdown of Miami. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here, you there at 7.02 on another victory Monday night. Florida State going down to Miami and beating the Hurricanes 45-3, a huge win and a big rivalry. The Florida State Seminoles are also bowl eligible for the first time in a few years, so lots to dig into there. Also, later on in the show, we'll preview their game this Saturday night against the Syracuse Orange up in New York. We'll also have uh, some college football, some World Series now that the the baseball season has concluded, and at around 7.30, Jack Oliaro will have Seminole segment, Florida State women's soccer winning the ACC championship once again uh lots more on that and on the hardwood uh, men and women's teams taking the floor women already won today and, and the men's are in action against Edson as we speak number to call tonight 850-644-1837 on tomahawk talk the weekly sports power hour on the voice of florida state wvfs 89.7 fm streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu and tomahawk talk is always available the next day as a podcast so lots to dig into but first the crew that we'll be digging in with i am william haynes our co-host uh, tonight jackson bakich as always the question I, I threw around last week on on halloween it was about costumes and, and candy and some of that fun stuff but uh this week's question uh it's kind of under wraps you know you haven't launched the campaign officially yet jackson but uh if you were elected to congress what are you going to do about this daylight savings time nonsense? It has to be fixed. Well, I'll tell you what. I would listen to my, you know, possible constituents. I would give them, well, first of all, thank you for having me on, you know, again. You know, as always, I appreciate it. But, you know, I'd listen to my constituents. I would see what they want. But my personal opinion is that you can't cut the end of one snake and put it on the other end and, and say it's a different snake. So, uh, personally, I think we should go back to natural daylight time. There's no need to, you know, it was introduced by Benjamin Franklin way back in the day. It was instituted, I believe, around World War II. There's no need, reason for it anymore. But I would listen to my constituents and see what they want. I would listen to the people of Florida. Well, I think that's the. I think that's what you run on right there. There's your message, your campaign. Yeah, it's five. It gets dark at five thirty. It's dark coming into the studio. It's ridiculous. Uh, moving over to our panelists to my right, Kylie Brennan back in for the first time in a few weeks, and not only on the the broadcasting on the radio side, you've been quite busy in the journalistic realm. You're getting published. It seems like every week you made the full page. I think in the FS View once again for another uh, big story. So Kylie, great to have you in. How are you? Uh, first of all, thank you for the in- introduction there, William, and uh, thank you for the applause over there, Jack uh, Jackson. Um, Appreciate it. But, <laughs> but honestly, it's been great. It's been great to uh, kind of enhance my writing skills there, and it's just it's so fun just to get to talk to these athletes every single week. I got to talk to Matthew Cleveland this week, and I had recently read an article from the Tallahassee Democrat that said that 
he actually listens to Taylor Swift before his games. And so I asked him, I said, hey, you know, she just put out her new era tour. Like, can I expect to see you in line next to me camping out? And he was like, oh, well, you know, I got basketball, but like, if I have time, I will. And I was like, whoa, no way. I had no idea that you had basketball, but <laughs> nah, it was, it was fine. Really excited to see Cleveland this year, reigning ACC Freshman of the Year. He's going to be one of the stalwarts for the men's team. And I, I know I was sitting up with you in the press box for the Georgia Tech game. You did a, a player feature on Johnny Wilson and what a cog in, in this uh, offense he's been this year. So great to have you in, Kylie. And rounding out the panel, another debut this semester. Really excited about it. We have Andrew Cheney. Uh, Andrew, I got to say, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything here tonight, but whether it's in our department meetings after the show and our group chat message that we have for the sports department, you know, the quips, the one liners, I mean, you've got, you've got jokes. You're really, you're a really funny guy. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to what's in store tonight. So thanks for coming on the show and how are you doing? Thank you so much. That's a great honor to hear from, from a true comic like yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much. I'm extremely excited to be on this evening. Andrew better, sadly. Oh, what can you do? You. Sorry about thank that, you. guys. <laughs> Jack Oliaro, our producer, peeking in from behind the glass. He'll have seminal segment around 7.30, and he'll be screening your phone calls at 850-644-1837. You get on the phone, talk with him, let him know what you want to talk about, and you have a chance to, to get on the air with us. But without further ado, let's start to unpack uh, what was on Saturday night down in Miami, Florida State over the Hurricanes 45-3, to setting the stage 7.30 prime time on ABC. Joe Tessitore on the call, another good one. He, he called the uh, the LSU game earlier this year, too. Uh, for Hard Rock Stadium, it was a sellout. The one game about every two years they're able to sell out is when Florida State comes into town and a lot of uh, folks in Garnet and Gold assisting in that. And it was a big recruiting spot. Miami put all their chips on the table and said, this is the game we want our recruits to see. And so you had not just the game for this season, but also some other stuff on the line. And so when you have a score as lopsided as this, that goes a pretty decent way. Coach Norvell even admitting as such uh, this week, uh, today during his, his press conference availability. But the Knolls were looking to continue their dominance over their rival. Had a nice last-second win last year, looking to continue that run against an in-state rival. So that was what was on the line. First quarter action didn't take long within the first couple of minutes. The call that you heard at the top of the show, courtesy of Jeff Colhane and, and the Seminole Sports Network, uh, Pokey Wilson, 56 yards on a post route off a of play action to open the scoring, 7 nothing right out of the gate. The Canes nickel and dime their way down the field a little bit. They kick a 49-yard field goal to make it 7-3, to so a little bit back and forth as the game began. Uh, but then Florida State really leaned on a guy that was a defining character in this game. That was the running back, Trey Benson, getting the, the lion's share of the carries with Trayshawn Ward still out. 42-yard run and a counterplay. They get the, the the right guard and the right tackle out on the move and, and actually able to block some people. Uh, later in the drive, a pass interference wipes off an interception in the end zone. And it was DJ Lundy. Plays a lot of middle linebacker, but he's played fullback some all year. And not running it in, but out in the flat as a receiver, catching a touchdown there to make it 14-3. Second quarter, a couple of Miami three and outs. Uh, one after a Travis interception, which put the Hurricanes down at the one-yard line. That was one of three times in the game the Hurricanes started a drive from within their own three. And you factor in all the quarterback stuff that they had going on. Uh, I mean, they no chance to move the ball. 
when that's the circumstances that you're dealing with. Uh, and so after that interception, Florida State gets the ball right basically where they had it before at the 39-yard line. Took only three plays. All three were runs from Trey Benson. Uh, some really strong running from him, breaking tackles, bouncing it out to the outside, 21-3. to The Canes uh, backed up again inside their own territory, and it was an interception for Greedy Vance. When was the last time you heard a, a seminal takeaway for this defense? Uh, and they were able to cash in pretty quickly on another Benson run to make it 28-3. to It was 31-3 at halftime, and that was about all she wrote. Uh, third quarter action, a botched snap on a third and goal for Miami. Uh, Jared Verse recovers it. Uh, Jamie Robbins had, had a stop when Miami was at basically the one-yard line, so trying to keep the Canes out of the end zone and a couple of nice defensive plays. There, a tackle for a loss for the safety, Jamie Robinson. He had a nice night. Trey Benson, again, a long run plus a face mask penalty on what was kind of an awkward tackle for him. Sets up uh, the first receiving touchdown all season for Cameron McDonald. He's been big all year on third down. Seems like whenever they need a big catch, he's able to provide it. Uh, the play action lulling the defense to sleep, and it was Travis lofting it over the top to Cameron McDonald. Uh, for a touchdown there to make it 38-3. to Patrick Payton had a sack fumble, so the, the takeaways continue. And then it was all the backups coming in. Tate Rodemaker and C.J. Campbell, a great story. Lead a touchdown drive to make it 45-3. to Brian Courtney getting his first catch of the year, the freshman tight end. And uh, we can talk about this if, a little bit uh, if you guys want. Deuce Span, a receiver that hasn't played much all season. He was a quarterback at Illinois, moved to receiver, transferred to Florida State uh, this season, and had an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Mike Norvell was kind of letting him hear about it on the sideline, and and Span reacted in not such a good way, walked away from the coach and the rest of his teammates, and Norvell runs over to him and, and tries to get him to collect himself. The very next drive, he catches an eight-yard pass. So, you know, everyone saw it on social media. Oh, I guess, you know, never going back to do span. They did, and so that was a nice moment at the end of a 45-3 to game where seemingly there wouldn't be much to talk about, but I think that was a story and a testament to Coach Norvell and what he's done since he's been here. And uh, as if all that wasn't enough, Azaria Thomas, the true freshman cornerback, gets an interception to seal the deal. So lots of good stuff, guys. We'll go around the room. Uh, we'll start just with opening thoughts from a nice big win. Well, I'll tell you what. I have been very critical of this Florida State team the past three weeks. Um, I tend to be someone that's immediately more negative, uh, especially these past three weeks when it comes to you know looking at this Florida State team. But, uh, golly, it's very easy to, to be positive about this week, and I'm going to be. <laughs> uh, they did everything that, you know, that the media has been calling on them to do this week, which was – you know, forced turnovers. They hadn't forced turnovers in weeks, maybe even if you don't count the NC State game, almost months. Um, their third down conversion rate was over 50%. Uh, Jordan Travis was spectacular. Um, and from what we heard leading up to this week, they took a different approach to practicing this week. They, they knew it's a rivalry game. They knew it was a... Uh, going to be a big game. And I think a lot of teams make the mistake of trying to practice like it's normal for a rivalry game and then going in and trying to make up for it emotionally in that rivalry game. They did the exact opposite. They prepared heavy, maybe maybe more intensely than any other week. And then they played like it was just any other game. And that's what I saw. Uh, it was very impressive, You know, very strict on penalties. They didn't have a whole lot. They, they kept the game 
uh, within themselves. They didn't allow Miami back in the game almost ever. Um, even that interception by Travis, you know, to the Seminoles' luck, however, I will say, you know, he, he catches it, doesn't land in the end zone. They have a very limited um, drive coming out of their own end zone. Uh, so just clinical, clinical. That That's the word I, I choose for this game. It was very fun to watch, even just as a, as a fan of college football, to see a team that had been struggling for the past few weeks really laying one down on uh, a rival um, on the road. Yeah, outside of that Wake Forest game, I mean, this Florida State team has been come into the building ready to play from the from the get go, and and credit to Norvell and and the practices during the week, as you say, uh, to get that done. So, Kylie, and your opening thoughts from this win, what can you say? Well, I gotta say, I it feels like after the first half, whenever we come back, I always just have a sinking feeling in my stomach because I'm like, the past few games, our opponent has had an opening drive fresh out of the half. And I just, I was kind of waiting. I was waiting for Miami yep. to do something. I was waiting for the game to flip. I just, I thought, surely this can't be real. Don't call me Shirley. That's an <laughs> airplane quote there. Great movie. <laughs> great movie. Anyways, um, there's just so many great takeaways from this. I mean, Trey Benson went off, but when is he not one off? But it's just, it was great to see. Um, but it's something that I feel like we should kind of highlight that, kind of gets swept under the rug. You talk about it when it's going bad, but you don't really talk about it when it's going great. Ryan Fitzgerald, 100% on the last two games. All it takes, yeah, one for one last couple of weeks, and I think he is, I think, like eight or nine for for 12, something along those lines. So he, he's compiling some some good numbers. And real quick, before we go to Andrew, hopefully I'm not, I won't be stepping in on your opening thoughts, but the offensive line, I mean, this – might have been the the culmination or a microcosm of just how much this offensive line has improved. Maybe Miami's defensive front is is not as good as we thought, but uh, possibly the best performance from an offensive line I've seen at Florida State in a long, 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 long time. Jazzed in turn time was out. Darius Washington taking his place at right tackle, and, and Coach was saying the left guard, Dylan Gibbons, maybe having his best game as an old. He's been here for a couple of years. Yeah, it, it was it – was... We just take it for granted now, Florida State on the offensive line, which is so strange to think, think considering how poor they were for so many years. But it was really stunning, the lack of effort and the lack of fight from Miami, just from front to back. I mean, even even Duquesne, a team with infinitely less talent, kept playing for four quarters. They kept trying for fourth quarters. The coaches looked like they cared for fourth quarters. I mean, you think about third quarter, Jason Taylor was more uh, an analyst on the Miami Southland. He was more interested in hearing what uh, what his son was doing in in the uh, LSU-Bama game than he was in the game that's going down. And I know, I mean, he's just an analyst. He's not not like a play caller or something. But that's just such a sign of, of the cultural rot, I think, that's going down right now in Miami, which, I mean... We only get to do this once a year, really, to truly come out and dunk on an opponent. Uh, so I, I think we should all uh, lavish in that and um, bathe in that, almost bask in the uh, <laughs> that that victory feeling when you come out and dominate a rival like that. I think you said it perfectly. I mean, maybe this leads into the next question I'm going to ask. I mean, what impressed everyone the most about this game? Andrew, I think you said it. I mean... A game that at least the four that were in the studio last week, we were all pre- predicting, you know, one possession game, ten point game. You know, it's a rivalry. It's going to be close. Forty five to three almost doesn't put it well enough. The Knolls broke the spirit 
of the Miami Hurricanes. You, you said, I mean, Duquesne was playing harder, deeper into the game than, than Miami did. They were taking cheap shots, a couple of sloppy penalties for, for the Canes, and Florida State just kept trucking along, doing what they did, and uh, made it an embarrassing final score. But, I mean, out of all the things, you know, silencing the crowd early in a hostile road environment, you know, maybe you see the, the offensive ease and how they're moving the football, winning the turnover battle, all these things. If you had to pick one, what impre- what's the most impressive about uh, this win? Maintaining composure. Um, you, you, you watch the entirety of that game. You don't watch highlights. You don't watch a condensed version. You'll see a lot of Miami players uh, trying to talk crap to, to a lot of Florida State players. You just see them either walk away or throw their hands up or uh, just the intensity of that game breeds emotion. And the Florida State players, they just let the game do the talking. It, it was incredible to watch. Um, you know, remember last year in Tallahassee, at the end of the third quarter, you know, there's that, that big kerfuffle there at midfield. Uh, that doesn't happen. Obviously, you know, the game's a lot a lot different of a score going into the fourth quarter. But just it, it, I, watching that game, I don't, this might be a little bit too niche of a comment, but uh, if anybody's heard that leaked audio of Kirby, Kirby Smart talking uh, to his players last year when they're playing against Florida, uh, in Jacksonville, you hear him. You know, you know, I forget who he's talking about, but you know, he, he's he's uh, commending his players for just not saying anything where, while the Florida players were, were trying to get under their skin, and that's what I kept thinking about. It, it was incredibly, incredibly cool to see the Florida State players in this big of an of an intense game to uh, just let the game do the talking. Yeah, uh, Miami, I guess you would say, has, has kind of garnered a reputation for that. You come into their house on a, on a Saturday night, big environment. They're going to they're gonna talk some smack to you. They're going to try and push you around. But, yeah, Florida State silencing that pretty much from the very beginning of the game. Talking about just the offensive strategy, similar to the Georgia Tech game in some regards, where they didn't really have to do too much, ran a lot of basic plays, um, didn't have to dig too deep into the bag of tricks. All the damage essentially was done on the ground. Jordan Travis only threw the ball 12 times, was 10 for 12, including sacks. Uh, Florida State ran the ball 49 times for 229 yards, three touchdowns. That's nearly five yards per carry. And you, you bring in Rodemaker's numbers as well, just 13 for 16 passing, but 225 yards and another three touchdowns. Um, this is going to come into play when we talk about Syracuse, but, I mean, Florida State wants to run the ball. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They're going to come in and they're going to do it. And uh, you limit the turnovers. You limit the risk. Obviously, throwing the ball only 12 times. I mean, one of the coolest things about this is, you know, as you're stalking the Instagram of FSU football on the day of trying to see, or not even the day of, before, just to see who went on the plane, who's who's making it out there, you get excited because you see Sean Ward and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, he's back. This is awesome. But it's so amazing how much of a well-oiled machine this team looked like in this game for the fact that we were able to rely on Benson so heavily and had so many options. Cameron McDonald, as you mentioned, a touchdown from him. Like, it's amazing that we didn't even have to heavily rely on the person that you hear, Ward on the carry, Ward on the carry, Ward Travis on the, on the keeper, yeah. Exactly. And it's just, it's such a difference. And maybe I'm overstepping my bounds a bit, but it, it it felt it also felt like I was watching a Leonard Hamilton coach team. It you know just so much depth to to add to your point, just so much depth everywhere. Where it's at, whether it's at quarterback, whether it's at uh, the running back position, the wide receiver position. I mean, Deuce Span 
you know, he's he's a hell of an athlete. And so for him to be, you know, taking third team reps, you know, in in the third and fourth quarter, uh, well oiled machine is a perfect analogy for that. It, it's it's incredible to watch how far this team has come. Um, and you know, I, I feel bad for for Mike Norvell's uh, for his his twenty twenty team. Um, obviously, he didn't, doesn't even go down uh, to to Hard Rock Stadium that year in 2020 but uh i believe that was the first road game of the year college game day was there you know yeah. granted with no fans uh he didn't have a spring so he's a combined maybe only f- 25 practices maybe 30 practices in with that squad and he has to go down to miami and, and face um you know manny diaz at that point who had been there for a few years i mean it, it, it was a tough task and, and uh for that game to be to be even close um would have been a miracle um, so just to see how far this team has come, um, you look at Miami, if you look at the Miami games only, you can just, you can see the, the transformation that this team has, has gone through. It's a great measuring stick. There's no doubt about that. Trey Benson, 15 carries, 128 yards, two touchdowns, nearly or eight and a half yards per carry. That's, that's pretty darn good. A little subtext to that his his coach or the coach on the other sideline for for Miami Mario Cristobal was his coach when when Benson was at Oregon and didn't play a lot had a, had an injury obviously which was part of the the transfer process but Benson getting to stick it to his old coach old coaching staff a little bit Micah Pittman coming from Oregon as well not too involved in the offense but he was catching a heck of a lot of punts because Miami was kicking it away uh, throughout the course of the night. Want to give a little bit of credit to the defense. The offense set the tone in the game, but the defense kept the pressure applied. Miami starting from within their three-yard line three times, as I said. But three sacks, less than four yards per carry allowed on the ground. And that was factoring in a lot of garbage time running where Florida State had their second and third team defense in. They didn't know where to line up, and Miami's just gashing them up the gut. You take those uh, numbers out, and the running game for Miami looks even worse. We talked that that was going to be the key with some quarterback troubles. The defense also has four takeaways. Miami's offensive game plan was completely blown up, not just from the defense, but from their their quarterback situation. Three quarterbacks used. Tyler Van Dyke tried to give it the go. I think re-aggravated that that shoulder um, in the in the first quarter, maybe towards the start of the second quarter, and uh, they went to the true freshman who hadn't seen the field much in Jacurry Brown and, and Jake Garcia through a couple of balls as well. So they weren't able to find any kind of rhythm, weren't able to run the ball, weren't able to start with good field position. And so you combine that with just scoring on nearly every drive, it seemed like in the first half. Uh, and that that's a great recipe t- uh, to win. The last thing I want to mention before we move on, because we need to shortly, but some garbage time stars. C.J. Campbell with another rushing touchdown. He's got two in as many games, was ruled uh, out for the year in fall camp with a i believe a, a fibula they thought there was going to be some ligament tears but it was just the bone so he's able to return much earlier than expected and he's looked good azaria thomas first career interception he's going to be a big defensive back and uh as i said the the do span uh moment there at the end i thought that was a, a great showing for uh mike norvell and company but 40 40- Five to three. There's not much more you can say, so we'll leave it at that. And a big win for FSU. Again, you can call the show 850-644-1837. Perhaps you want to take a bit of a victory lap. But moving on to the game this Saturday night, 8 p.m. on ACC Network up in 
Uh, upstate New York in Syracuse taking on the six and three Orange, so three and two in conference play. The Knolls now six and three as well, four and three in ACC play. As the line stands now, Florida State favored by six and a half, so about a touchdown, on, depending on where you look. Over under is fifty one and a half. Uh, ESPN's Football Power Index gives Florida State a fifty five point seven percent chance to win, so decently close uh, to a toss up. Um, the team stats are identical when you look at you know points per game, yards per game, total defense. It looks like these two teams are even. You look in a little bit deeper into the schedule. Syracuse played UConn, Virginia, Wagner. So uh, as they've started to play better competition, those numbers have come back down to earth. They started 6-0, and their best start since 1987, but since have lost three straight. So, Jackson, what can we say about the Syracuse Orange? Well, I, I remember watching them last year. It was parents' weekend. Uh it was kind of funny. It was it came, my parents came up. We uh, didn't have tickets on the fifty yard line, but we sat there. Um, that was that that kind of day. Um, but it was actually pretty full on the home side. But you know that's meat and potatoes. But anyway, um, I remember watching that game and seeing Garrett Schrader kind of kill us on offense, running the ball. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, of course, but um, I think the key to the game is to this is that. Excuse me. To stop the Syracuse rushing attack, yeah. Uh, whether it's Schrader on the ground or whether it's Sean Tucker, hopefully he won't be pleased uh, with the outcome of, of his play um, come Saturday night. But um, it really comes down to whether Florida State can stop the rushing attack. And that rushing attack for Syracuse has not looked good as of late. You bring up Sean Tucker, ran for fifteen hundred yards last year, was an All American first team player. Uh, but his stats, the last three games, now granted it's Clemson, Notre Dame, and Pitt, so maybe stinger defenses, but last three games, 54 yards, 60 yards, and ran for only 19 yards uh, last week. So he's come down to earth, and, and I think a big part of that is they've lost Garrett Schrader. Uh, Andrew, I think you, you were telling us in the green room before the show what Dino Babers was saying about their starting quarterback's injury. How did he describe it? He, he said Garrett had a, quote, owie. <laughs> that's not, I don't know if that's good or that's bad. They said he practiced this, this past week going into the pit game. Uh, he started the Notre Dame game two weeks ago. I think it was like 5 for 14 passing. They took him out of the game, and when they asked him about it, he just said that, he, they didn't feel comfortable keeping him in the game. I guess he wasn't healthy enough to defend himself. It was a weird kind of explanation. The backup quarterback, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, that's going to be a mouthful to say for all the announcers, but he's a, a four-star. He's got a strong arm, but uh, numbers not as good so far. I, I will say, though, real quick about Sean Tucker. Um, granted, he, he doesn't have the same uh, output on the ground, but he does have 251 yards receiving this year already uh through his games last year he had 255 last year so he's already got nearly the same amount of yards receiving as he did last year alongside 777 yards rushing so um coming down to earth maybe a little bit you know in the in the yards rushing specifically but usually he's getting around over 100 yards per game all purpose We've, we've talked about what they do on the offensive side of the ball but on the the defensive side of the ball uh, in these three losses, again, Clemson, Notre Dame, and, and Pitt, the, those three teams all had the same strategy, just run the heck out of the ball, grind the clock, don't give the, the backup quarterback a chance to find any rhythm. Um, and in those three games, those opponents only passed the ball about 20 times. Uh, Clemson ran 60 times for nearly 300 yards, held the ball for 34 minutes. 
Notre Dame ran it 56 times for about 250 yards. They held the ball for nearly 38 minutes. And Pitt ran 48 times for 160 yards. They held the ball for about 37 minutes. So as I was kind of setting up at the end of the, the Miami recap, a Florida State team that runs the ball really well and a Syracuse defense that can't stop the run uh, to, it seems like to save their life. That's got to be a good matchup, right? For the Knowles, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if, if Florida State can can get 150 yards rushing, I think that's that might not even be a good day. I mean, I think if if they can get over 200, that's probably their goal. I mean, I remember Bryson DeChambeau uh, to bring in golf a little bit, and he was saying how uh, when they played the Masters in the fall a few years ago due to COVID-19, he said, you know, it, this was like a par 67 course just because of how easier the conditions were. Uh, we could see that for Florida State going against um, this Syracuse front seven, um, especially uh, with Florida State's three-headed monster, especially if Ward can play. The reporters asked Norvell what Syracuse is going to run on defense. There are multiple D, so they'll run some 3-3 three, three, uh, with some extra defensive backs, some 3-4 as well, but not a good defense. You look at the decent offenses they faced. They gave up 29 to Purdue, 27 to Clemson, 41 to Notre Dame, so Florida State, you would expect to be around there in point totals. Um, a weapon on the outside to look out for, the 6'5 receiver slash tight end, Aronde Gadsden, uh, the second. Uh, he hasn't been able to hook up much with, with Carlos Del Rio Wilson, but if Schrader plays, those two have had a good connection this year. Uh, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Jackson. Florida State won 33-30 in 2021. That's the only meeting between the two teams in Norvell's tenure. So... And also in that game, Travis threw for 131, ran for 113. And uh, in that game, Sean Tucker ran for 102 yards. Schrader ran for 137 in that game. And real quick, just with a uh, VD9 update, um, you can follow the Florida State basketball game on with our live tweets. At V89 at Sports. At V89 Sports. Right now, Florida State's down two with a minutes left, 11 minutes left in the first half. All right, all right. So... Uh, what do we think about this game? We'll go around the room. How do you think the game plays out? What does Florida State need to do to win? And uh, if you got it, give us a final score. Jackson, we'll start with you. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> Aside from being able to stop Florida State's rushing attack, uh, Syracuse has to be able to run the ball on their own, um, especially with Fabian Lovett and Jared Verse coming together. Uh, Florida State's defensive line just looked unstoppable against Miami. Um, if Syracuse wants to have any chance, against Florida State, in my opinion, they need to be able to control the clock because we know that that's what Florida State's going to be wanting to do. Um, so my final prediction, I am going to go 38-18 Florida State. Pretty close to what I got. Uh, Kylie and Andrew. Uh, I'm going to go a final score, 21-10 Florida State. Uh, to win this game, I think we really need to shut down Sean Tucker for sure. And it's uh, there's a lot that's going to depend on what – quarterback we're facing um i mean i'm not confident that it'll be garrett schrader i mean i'd have to pull out a medical textbook to ensure what exactly an alley entails but it doesn't sound good there william um but if you go into the logic of who's lost to who you know pitt lost to georgia tech pretty closely 26 21 so if that goes into any talk about the quality of syracuse's losses as of recent i think that florida state should feel pretty good. And that makes us better than Bama, right? Transit of win property. That's right. Absolutely. FSU is greater than LSU, greater than Alabama. Andrew, what do you got? 
Um, well, I think the underrated aspect of the game is Robert and I, the offensive coordinator of the Qs. Uh, he's a great matchup guy. Uh, was at BYU, was at Virginia. Um, so I think that Syracuse pass game, regardless of who's under center, will have more success than any of us are expecting. I think that will be part of why this game is fairly close. I'm going to go 21-20 to 20 Syracuse with the upset. Wow. The panelists are some closer games uh, than maybe I was expecting. I've got FSU 34-17. I'm expecting a runaway for the Knowles, especially if it's the backup, Del Rio Wilson, instead of Schrader. I think that makes a pretty big difference. Uh, but if, if Del Rio Wilson can get some time, they've got weapons on the outside that they can get the ball to. I think uh, the corners of this defense for Florida State are going to be tested like they haven't been tested in quite a while, maybe looking back to that Wake Forest game. Syracuse is going to try and go down the field with some jump balls. They've got receivers that can do it. Uh, but I think the key, Jordan Travis being the 11th man in the run game, uh, Syracuse has not faced a lot of these offenses where the quarterback is a running threat, and I think that's going to make a difference because Syracuse can't stop the run regardless. No turnovers. If you can possess the ball, follow the formula that the last three have followed, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And so, again, Florida State, I got 34-17. I will say two very similar types of road games for the Knowles, not necessarily rivalry-wise, but you have two teams that aren't necessarily known for their for their crowd hype. You have two teams that are uh, with backup quarterbacks, possibly. Uh, so it should be a very interesting game to see how Florida State games plan, game plans um, for a very similar matchup. Syracuse men's basketball, they're in the, the JMA Wireless Dome tonight. That's why we couldn't get a guest from Syracuse. Uh, they're, they're calling the games. I, I can't quite relate or empathize with their situation, but uh, we'll try and get them maybe on a, a separate podcast or, or graveyard shift, something along those lines, maybe this weekend. We'll keep you posted at V89 Sports, Twitter and Instagram for that. Um, talk about their student radio and things of that nature. But that was our preview of the Syracuse game. That's it for the first half. Coming up now, Jack Oliaro with seminal segment jack thank you william what's good everyone i am jack leo rocking and routing off the seminal segment which if you don't know by now relays the latest and greatest in all of florida state's athletics as always before we get into that i'd like to give my thoughts on the upcoming game in syracuse the biggest factor comes down to garrett schrader there's no telling at this point of the week whether he will play but the offense nosedived without him last week at pittsburgh and the passing game just looked bad Regardless of one key player, I think Florida State will continue to stack another win and ball out offensively. If Schrader's 100%, expect some fireworks at JMA Wireless. Without him, there will be some struggle unless Sean Tucker just says, screw it, I'm going to do this all by myself. My prediction includes Schrader playing, so I'll say Knowles 42, Syracuse 27, and Otto the Orange is the best mascot not named Osceola and Renegade. But without further ado... For this first time this season, we go to the Donald L. Tucker Center, where the Florida State women's basketball team opened their season bright and early today at 11 a.m. to take on the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. The contest was clearly Florida State's early, and they dominated throughout the entirety. They led the entire game, has led as many as 68 points, scored off, scored 38 points off turnovers, crushed second chance and fast break points, and the score sheets look like NBA numbers. Uh, Michaela Timpson and Aaron Howard each had double-doubles, combining for 38 points and 28 rebounds, while freshman Tanayo Latson put up 28 points in her collegiate debut and just one rebound away from a double-double herself. Uh, Bucknell transfer Taylor O'Brien scored 19 points and 14 steals in her Semmels debut, and just about everything went FSU's way. The game finished 113-50, to Florida State beginning the season with a damning win at home. They'll now travel up to Ohio to take on Kent State this Thursday, then come back to host Georgia State on Sunday afternoon. 
Uh, Thursday's game will be on 7 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus, while Sunday's game will be at 2 p.m. on ACC Network Extra. Taking a live look in, the men's basketball team is currently hosting their opener against Stetson. And at the moment, it's a little bit of a shocker at the moment because Stetson is up 27-15 to 15 midway through the first half. Certainly not the uh, result everyone was expecting. Uh, the highest scorer is Caleb Mills and Cameron Fletcher off the bench at a com- uh, combined 8 points and 4 points each. Not a lot of success going on there to uh, uh, there thus far, but we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, follow us on our, our Twitter at V89Sports for live updates. But moving from the court to the pitch, where the Florida State soccer team won their third straight ACC tournament championship. They were first up against Notre Dame, a team that dismantled them uh, 4-0 earlier in the season. Claire Robbins was on the end of an Oni Echegini cross that headed right past the keeper for the 13th-minute opener, but not a minute passed before Corbin Albert, and remember her name, responded right back with a screamer and leveled it for the Irish. Another 15 minutes passed before the FSU before FSU is awarded a penalty that Heather Payne dispatches and brings the lead back to the Knolls. Now remember that, I told you to remember that Corbin Albert name because she took the game over with a half volley outside the box that soared past Christina Roque for the equalizer, but then not even 30 seconds passed before she takes the ball from the center circle, dribbles through Florida State defenders, and launches another missile and turns the game on its head, 3-2 Irish, all Corbin Albert. All goals from outside the box, too. Now, if anyone can counter domination, it's this Florida State side who responded as Maria Alagoa's cross wasn't handled by the keeper, which left Emma Bissell the open goal, which she took easily to knot it up 3-3. The defenses decided at that point, you know, we're just going to shut the offenses down, and they finished 3-3 at the end of 90 minutes before another 30 minutes of extra time was played, and that was enough to split the two sides, which meant the best thing in sports, penalties. Claire Robin's shot was saved. I'm sorry. Claire Robin's shot was saved, but the ACC goalkeeper of the year, Christina Roquet, amended that miss with a save of her own, 0-0. And then Leilana Nesbeth, Heather Payne, and Rain EY all scored, um, respectively, with the Irish as well to convert their penalties, leaving us at 3-2. When Nia Hudson's shot was fired, but Roquet was there to save the shot, meaning Jenna Nyswanger had the deciding penalty, which she buried low and true and sent the Seminoles to the ACC championship to face North Carolina a team that defeated the Knolls 2-1 in Tallahassee. Halfway through the first half, Avery Patterson of the, gave the Tar Heels the lead with a goal off goal off of a cross as she made no mistake of. And then with 15 minutes before the half, Jenny, Jenna Nyswanger did the unthinkable and scored an Olympico, where you score the ball from the corner and score, like an unbelievable goal at a perfect time to square at the half. Uh, she was at it again at the start of the second half, shooting a long ways away, but enough power to where the Tar Heels keeper actually spilled the save and allowed Jody Brown to tap in the championship-winning goal. The Seminoles won 2-1, avenging their two regular season losses with conference tournament wins. Brian Penske leads his side to the ACC double in his first season and will be a number one seed heading into the ACC tournament. Now quickly back into the court for Florida State Volleyball, who split their homestand this weekend with a dominating four-set victory over Clemson, followed by a Georgia Tech heartbreaker where the Seminoles led by two sets, but then dropped the following three to the 10th-ranked team in the nation. This week, we'll have just one game on the road at Notre Dame, who FSU swept 3-0 back in late September. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. I've been, still am, and I'd hope to continue as Jack Liaro, William and Jackson, run it. Thank you, Jack. Another great Seminole Segment in the books. Not great to hear about the men's basketball team getting worked by Stetson. We'll see how that game closes out. Uh, but as of now, that is not a good sign. But 
Back to Tomahawk Talk with William, Jackson, Kylie, and Andrew. Number to call the show, 850-644-1837, up until 9 o'clock, or 8 o'clock, rather. I'm looking at the, the, the time hasn't changed on our on our operating board with the, the time change. Give me a break. But the rest of the world of college football, uh, some really big games. Number three, Georgia, at least as it was, uh, over number one, Tennessee, in Athens, 27-13. to 13. How did we forget about Georgia? I mean, they they beat uh, Oregon 49 to three in the opener. They had some close calls uh, to a to a cupcake school. They had a close call to Missouri, where it looked like they were going to lose that game in Missouri. Um, but it looks like everything has worked out now. Stetson Bennett is doing his thing. Uh, their offense is loaded. That Kirby Smart defense is doing what it does. Guys, they just took down the number one team in the country and did it pretty easily. Yeah, and it, it was it was cool to see. Honestly, it was cool to see. Um, I'd say the word again. It felt clinical. It felt clinical. Yeah, Stetson Bennett, 17-25 for about 250, two touchdowns, no picks. Their offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers during some of those prolific Jameis years. Uh, and he was always good uh, with, with that offense. You give him a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over three times a game, and, and this is what he can do. His time in Georgia – has been great. He gives me the vibes of one of those guys that is really good at his job, and he's just going to stay in that coordinator role. Uh, I think if Georgia can keep him around, it, he's he's a big part of that offense and how they call the plays and, and play design. Even they had streaks two or three times. You guys just running op- wide open right down the field, and Bennett was able to put the ball on him. Uh, Tennessee made some plays late. They played good defense into the second half, uh, only giving up three points and, and scored some garbage time points. Uh, you know, 27 to 13, which is what it was, or if it was, say, 45 to 10, do you think that's going to make a difference in the in the playoff committee's eyes as far as how Tennessee is viewed? Did it do them any favors to make this game close? Well, I'll tell you what. If, you know, Clemson and, let's say, Hofstra are playing or whoever you want to pick, um, and the game is kind of close, the committee's probably not going to be watching the entire game, um, but they'll see that they won, let's say they won 30 to 13, but it felt a lot closer than that. Um, this was definitely a game that the committee was watching the, it's in its entirety. They weren't just going to be looking at the box score later on in the year, um, or later on in the day, excuse me. This was a game that could have been a lot uglier, in my opinion. Um, and it felt like garbage time there at the end that, that made it 27 to, to 13. Um, <clears throat> so even though it was only a two-touchdown loss, um, I think the committee will, will see this as something much larger than that. And I think the way in which Tennessee lost will probably and might knock them out of the playoff. The truth is, what we have learned from now, this is this is year eight of the college football playoff, the committee will do whatever the committee wants. They could say this week that it's a it's not an impressive win for Georgia, in two weeks it's an impressive win. Or they could say the game isn't close now. In two weeks, the game will be close if Tennessee makes it into the playoff. So there's re- there's really no no that way is to true. gauge. That is very true. And I don't think Tennessee was going to go all the way undefeated. It's almost like take your pick. Would you rather lose to Georgia now? They, they their next three games is like the very bottom of the SEC East. They've got Vanderbilt and Missouri and those kind of schools. So they all their resume builders are done. But would you rather lose now in Athens, somewhat close? Or would you rather, you know, get beat, you know, who knows, by LSU in the SEC championship game? So this is going to be another one of those one-loss non-conference champs 
uh, with not a, even playing in the conference championship. Exa- yeah, right. Um, with it, with a good resume. I mean, they beat Kentucky really, really bad. Uh, they beat Alabama on that last second. Killed field LSU goal. in Baton Rouge. Uh, yeah, and that that one I think more than the rest of them is going to turn out to be huge with how badly they beat them in Tiger Stadium. Uh, last, and, yeah, sorry, no. go, uh, I just th- I think the committee doesn't count LSU's loss against Florida State against them. Um, you know, LSU, like, I, I think we talked about it, whether you said it on air or, or in a pre-show one time, um, Florida State caught LSU. I'm not degrading L- Florida State's win over LSU, but Florida State did catch LSU at the right time. Yeah. You, have, you have a team that's, you know, with a new coach. You have a team that um, had a quarterback controversy, you know, two weeks before the season even started. So The um, game week, they didn't know. They were yeah. going into into the Caesar Superdome, and we didn't know who the starting quarterback was. Correct. I mean, they knew about a week. The team yeah. knew, but but correct. The public didn't. Um, so to only, to only lose by one on a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point, you know, that game goes into overtime, probably they win. Not trying to, once again, not trying to degrade that FSU win. But um, I don't, the reason I'm saying is I don't think the committee views that loss that heavily at all, especially with Florida State now, you know, bowl eligible and has a chance to maybe have eight, nine, ten wins at the end of the season. So um, LSU has a real good shot to getting in. They have to beat whoever's coming out of the West. You have that Bama Ole Miss game um, this week that can that can tie into that. But um, how about LSU though? Golly, let's talk about it. Yeah, you bring it up. Uh, number ten LSU. We'll see that the AP poll is already out. Florida State is twenty five, but uh, really now the the holy bible is the the college football playoff rankings, which come out on Tuesday nights. Uh, you know, it's that's what's going to be used everywhere moving forward. So we'll have to wait and see, but. Coming into the week, number ten LSU beats number six Alabama, thirty-two thirty-one in overtime. Uh, Andrew, you brought it up. Mason Taylor, the the son of Hall of Fame defensive end Jason Taylor, had some huge catches. Had a touchdown catch. Had a touchdown in the fourth quarter to get him set up for that one of the final driver regulation, and had the 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 catch uh, falling into the end zone on that two point conversion to make it thirty-two thirty-one. A great game for him. Brian Kelly, the the turnaround in year one alone. I mean, they lose to Florida State uh, to start, and um, you know they they get beat bad at home by Tennessee. They've got two losses. Maybe we'll be talking about a a good resume for a two loss conference champ that's never been done before. But I mean, how about the job that Brian Kelly's done? I mean, he was it seemed like he was already on the hot seat. Buyout beware. But now the the script has totally flipped. They're going to be probably a top five, maybe top four team tomorrow night. And that's very true. It's it's quite funny. It's um, you know, it seemed like LSU fans didn't like necessarily the hire at first, and then you know they lose to Florida State, and they don't like them even more. Um, you know the the, the fake family Southern accent. You know it, it's uh, wasn't the greatest look, but now LSU fans are just absolutely in love with this man. Um, kind of the opposite of the the Mario Cristobal. Uh, situation in Miami, so um, yeah, LSU they have a solid team. Jalen Daniels, he's a he's a very very good quarterback, a quarterback that can beat you with his arm and with his legs, um, and a, a, a dude that doesn't seem to shy away from the moment. And um, I think LSU has a, has a solid chance of getting in the playoff should they win out. Jane Daniels is an interesting story too. I mean, he he quarterbacked a couple of top twenty ish teams at Arizona State. 
But this is the big stage now. I mean, the, the games that he's played in. He just beat Alabama. He ran for nearly 100 yards, threw for nearly 200 and a couple of touchdowns, turnover-free football, three total touchdowns on the day. The transfer portal in today's game, I mean, it doesn't matter. You can go out and get a starting quarterback that's going to win you the SEC championship. I mean, this game is, is completely different than it used to be. I mean, what a year for Daniels, right? And so... We can talk about Alabama all we want. They had uh, nearly 100 penalty yards again, and this does not look like the Alabama team of old. This does not look like Saban's old teams. Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator maybe maybe behind some of these head-scratching moves. They went for a two-point conversion up 21-17 and didn't get it. If they had kicked the extra point and made it 22-17, that last-second field goal would have been a one-point victory instead of a tie sending it to overtime. I don't get that move. Bryce Young had a really bad interception in the first quarter. Um, he had a Heisman moment-ish light, but not enough to win the game. Um, so I'll give you guys kind of dealer's choice. I mean, about Alabama, two losses. They don't control their destiny in the SEC West. Barring something extreme, they're not going to make the championship game. They're done. And then on the LSU side, if they win out, are you considering with their resume a two-loss LSU team to, to be in the top four? Yeah, I, I think they deserve to get in. Like I said, I don't think the committee is really looking at the Florida State loss that heavily. We know this committee doesn't necessarily look at wins and losses as much as we think they do. Um, this is a, a committee that uh, has gotten things wrong in the past. I think we can all agree on that. And, you know... Beside getting blown out by Tennessee at home, that's that's the thing. Yeah, they got blown out by Tennessee at home. Um, I don't know. It, it's LSU. If they if they get the the style points in in their next few games, if they're able to win by a lot in the next few games, I think they they have a solid chance of getting in. But some things have got to happen. Um, and things are already going to happen. We can kind of talk about Clemson too. Clemson losing yeah. um, in South Bend. Uh, what an atmosphere! That what a cath- that is the cathedral of football, in my opinion, in in North America. It, it is such a a beautiful place to play college football. Yeah, just to tie a knot on the LSU thing before we move on. They are at Arkansas this week, and the final week of the season, they're at Texas A and M. Uh, Neither of those games are gimme games. Uh, It's not guaranteed that they're going to finish the regular season with just two losses, so we'll keep our eyes on that. But uh, they control their own destiny in the SEC West, which is absolutely absurd if you had told me that at the beginning of the year. Uh, Our last game, number four Clemson, they were. They won't be this week. Going up to South Bend, Notre Dame getting pounded. 35-14, to didn't stand a chance. I think Notre Dame was up like 28-0 or or 21-0. the Irish threw for only 85 yards and scored 35 points on Clemson. They had two 100-yard rushers. Is Clemson done? They weren't really considered a, a legitimate playoff team to begin with, and now they just had an embarrassing loss to a three-loss team. Well, as my dad put it, um, <laughs> he said, you know, the, the reason Clemson was four in the first place was because, you know, they had been so good for the past six, seven years. It was kind of like a, hey, here you go, guys. And they you beat know. Florida State this year. And they beat Florida State this year, of course. That's why they're at the number four spot. So, um, well, I will say, we were probably rushing the field if if Florida State would have beaten Clemson. So, uh, we'll still we'll st- you know, they're they're very good when they play Florida State, but they're 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 not when they're not. Um, but 
Is this a is this a DJ Uli Ungalale thing? Is this a, a Clemson as a whole thing? It, not entirely sure. Um, really, we'll just have to see until next year. Um, I, I, is there any chance Cle, Clemson's locked up the ACC uh, Atlantic, right? So yep. it'll be interesting to watch them in kind of a you know game that doesn't really matter that much probably to Clemson as it will to North Carolina, assuming that North Carolina wins. The, has, have they locked up the Coastal? I assume they have. Pretty much, yeah. It's yeah. going to take something major. So um, that's going to be an interesting game in Charlotte to see who wants it more. Um, but Notre Dame, man, what what a weird, wacky season for Notre Dame. You know, they lose to Marshall at home. They lose to Stanford, who's maybe one of the worst teams. In, they're definitely in the bottom fifth, sixth of FBS in terms of, of programs right now. Uh who else did they lose to? They, they, but they beat BYU in Vegas. They beat North Carolina. Mm-hmm. They they beat Clemson. What a weird year for Marcus Freeman in his first year. Um, I'm not sure how Notre Dame fans feel about him. Um, I think a lot of them are like, you know, give him time. But uh, that that's a good culture win. It, it kind of reminds me of Florida State beating Carolina in Norvell's first year. Definitely a culture win for Freeman. And also don't forget, Notre Dame was in Columbus in week one, and at the start of the fourth quarter, they were up 10-7 to yeah. on Ohio State. So Marcus Freeman, a lot of the, you know, he got a lot of flowers when he got that job, and it seems like he's in better graces in South Bend. You look at Clemson's remaining schedule. They have Louisville, who's 6-3. and three. They get Miami, South Carolina to close the year, and presumably North Carolina, who will maybe be a top-15 team in the ACC championship game. If they win out, that'll combine with wins over Wake Forest, NC State, FSU, Syracuse. Um, real quickly before we move on to baseball, I mean, is what do we think? Does Clemson have a chance to, to make the Final Four? Um, well, I, I, that's a great question, but I think there are lar- larger questions here just about the overall culture of the program. So in the offseason, Clemson lost both coordinators, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Dabo Sweeney was so supremely confident in the culture that he built that he decided to promote from within. They didn't even they didn't even interview anyone from outside. It took he said quote I think 15 seconds to decide uh, that he was bringing in. And now we see all the issues. We see this is one of the worst performances from Clemson in in a long time. Truly, um, there's, so there's a lot of questions. And you look at the rest of these games. Where's the gimme here? Louisville has gotten hot as of late. Miami, who knows what you're going to get, Tyler Van Dyke and whatnot. Um, USC, they're, they're having a decent year, so the South Carolina USC, I should say, and then UNC, obviously that explosive offense. Great point about the coordinators. I was Because they, they had a lot of transfers out, too. Venables going to Oklahoma. That Their defense was, I think, really the, the, the backbone of those championship teams. And, you know, you, as I said, you give up. 35 points to Notre Dame and they only threw for 85 yards. I mean, they're just running it right down your throat and they could do nothing to stop it. So you look at what has, as you said, Jackson, what has made Clemson Clemson the last seven or eight years, that none of those things are still there. So I think outside of the uniform, outside of the name, outside of Death Valley, none of those, those components are still there. And so, uh, yeah, like you said, we'll wait and see for next year, but you know, they've, they've got their work cut out for them the rest of this year. Uh, got a couple minutes left in the program. Want to talk some World Series uh, as it ended this weekend. Astros over Phillies in six games. You heard it here. We predicted it before the series even began. It would be Astros in six. Uh, the Phillies 
since we last spoke. They had a 7 nothing win in a postponed Game 3, then completely unraveled. They were up two games to one at that point. They got no hit the next game. They had a choke job in Game 5 where I think they had the tying run at third base. Can't bring them home with only one out, mind you. In a World Series game, they couldn't bring them home. And a hapless Game 6 where they struck out 12 times. Um, they didn't really make much of any threat, and they gave up that huge home run to Jordan Alvarez. Those three losses to end their year, 14 strikeouts, 12 strikeouts, and 12 strikeouts, respectively. The Phillies' fire, I didn't, I'm didn't. i not going to say luck, but the Phillies' fire ran out. And that's very true, and and especially in the in the game where they had, you know, so many home runs at home, uh, McCullers was tipping pitches, so... Uh, whether obviously it's completely legal, it's completely fine to catch when someone's tipping their pitches. It's not, you know, like they they took advantage of any rule. But is it? It didn't even feel like a natural win for the Phillies in that in that uh, was it game four, right? So um, no, that had been game three. What are you talking about? Uh, when McCullers was tipping his pitches. Yeah, yeah, game three. Game three. Seven excuse me. Win. Yeah. So. Um, you know, so for that to go six, honestly, was a little bit surprising, um, even though we predicted it. But just kind of watching how the the series unfolded um, as it went on, you know. But s- to call a game in six is always the most like safe. Yeah, it, it's very safe, and I, we're guilty of it. But it's very safe because you you know you think it's you think one team's going to win decent, but you're like, well, it's not going to go seven. But you're like, well, it's not going to go five. You know, but um, yeah, we predicted it here on V eighty nine Sports Tomahawk Talk. Astros pitching made the difference. Houston goes 11-2 and in the postseason. They swept the ALDS. They swept the ALCS. They win the World Series in six games. Their shortstop, after Carlos Correa leaves, oh, what are they going to do? They got a rookie at shortstop, Jeremy Pena, the second rookie ever to win the, the championship series and World Series MVP. Dusty Baker wins his first championship. Houston, they win a, they win a ring this time. Is this one clean? Do we kind of wipe some of the stuff away? Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, maybe even Justin Verlander. I mean, is this does this put them on the other side of history here? Yeah, it's definitely clean. And I said it, you know, on my Twitter at Jackson Bakich on Twitter. You know, in case you're wondering, a little little self promotion there. I was wondering. Thank you very much, Kylie. Uh, what what is your Twitter handle? Is it at Kylie Brennan? At Brennan Kylie? It's well, so Instagram is at Brennan Kylie, but mm-hmm. Twitter just simple, plain as day, first name, last name. So Kylie Brennan. Yes. At Kylie Brennan. So at Kylie Brennan. Uh, yes. Anywho, back to your point. Anyway, back to my point. Uh, you can be happy for Dusty Baker without having to be happy for the Astros. And I think that's how a lot of America felt. You know, this is a guy that's been in, you know, baseball for, for 25 years just as a manager alone. Um, so to see him finally get his win, you see the video of him putting in the the final score in his scorebook. I'm sure you, as a, as a baseball guy, William, was was it was very cool to see that um it definitely seemed clean uh, i mean obviously there's a lot of uh teams that bend the rules where, where they can whether it's in college high school you know the the major leagues but you know i don't think they were planning on doing anything dirty especially with all the all the microscopes on them so yes this one's clean thoughts on the series andrew as we wrap it up here uh well i visited houston for the first time this summer and there's no such thing as a clean anything and that's city. it's <laughs> <laughs> a great call i, I mean like I, I have to agree with andrew i've you've been to houston i well no i haven't been to houston but i'm agreeing that like i just i didn't want to see the astros win i firm believer in 
Calling them the Trashdros forever. Or the Asterix. Yes, that's also a good one. Thank you, at yeah. Kylie Brennan. Yeah, you're welcome, Jackson Bakich. Rob Manfred called their, their 2017 championship championship trophy a piece of metal. The Astros acquire another one this October, reinvigorating the the um, the legacies of Dusty Baker, Justin Verlander, and the like. Um, for the Phillies, I think they'll hang around. They made some large free agency uh, investments. It was great to see Bryce Harper make a substantial move in October for the first time, really, in his career. That was great to see, for sure. Had, a, I think, six home runs in the postseason. You called it Jackson. Kyle Schwarber, I think, hit three home runs in the World Series. I, I don't know if he'll be back or not. They've got some decisions to make there, but some decent pitching to work around. I think they finally fixed the bullpen. It's at least not as bad as it was. Uh, but for Houston, they're not going anywhere either, and they, they capture a trophy. Uh at least for right now, I don't I don't see anyone coming in for a new release. So let's 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 round out what we have for the rest of the show. A sunshine slate, call it a sunshine sweep in the National That's Football right. League Woo! for Week Nine. We'll start in Tampa Bay, and as we always do every week, the Gene Decker Hoff call of the week. It's first and goal. First and goal. Brady on the shotgun. Otten sniff to the right side. Evans wide to the left. Here's the snap. In play action fake, pass to the right side, caught ball, touchdown Tampa Bay! Buccaneers take the lead with nine seconds, Kate Otten! Fire the cannons! Fire the cannons! Fire them again! They really... The Buccaneers did not lead that game for, for 59 minutes and 51 seconds, and there they were at the very end, Kate Otten on the outside. Similar play to the LSU one on that two-point conversion. They look horrible. I was there in Raymond James for that game. The Buccaneers look awful. Nothing has changed. It's still the same team. There's still the, the predictable run on first down. Um, they're getting in all these third and longs. Brady doesn't want to get hit. He's not letting the plays develop. Um, but they beat a really bad Rams team in a, in a game that both teams desperately needed. Uh, and so the Buccaneers, they're 4-5. and five. They're still tied for first with the Falcons, but... I don't like what I see, but a win is a win. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, and maybe this this is kind of like a, you know, um, a philosophical question about Brady. But do you think he'll have that same kind of approach when he is, you know, in the playoffs? Do you think he'll allow the players to develop more? Do you think he'll he'll be willing to take more hits? Is he kind of taking like a LeBron approach when it comes to the regular season? Some load management. I, I have thought about that. I, I think maybe depending on the spot, if it's a championship game or a Super Bowl, I think you might see him make an investment more on his body. Uh, the Bucks play the Seahawks in Germany next week. The Dolphins, 35-32 over the Chicago, 6-3, tied for a second. The refs way- won in that game. I'll just be plain and simple. <laughs> refs won in that game. That game was, as a Miami fan, you hate to win that way. Uh, some horrible missed calls that went in favor of the Dolphins, but a win is a win is a win. Uh, they'll play the Browns next week. The Jaguars outlast the Raiders. Raiders blew a pretty bad lead in the first half. The final score, 27-20. Three and six, uh, they're in third place. They're in Kansas City against the Chiefs next week, but some shakeups in the AFC South. Titans lose. Colts fire their coach, so some, some turmoil going on there. We'll keep our eyes on that as the year goes on. But new release is next. This has been Tomahawk Talk for William Haynes, for Jackson Bakich, Kylie Brennan, Andrew Cheney, Jack Oliaro, our producer. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.